RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Holy shit, it's the end of the year. Welcome to Duffified Live, final episode of 2019. Uh, I, I, I can't even, I don't even know where to start the, this episode off. I mean, I, I usually go in with a recap and how do I recap, you know, an entire year in like 15 minutes. I think that's a really big, tall request. So I'm going to do my best, you know, with what I have. Um, I think that, you know, my year started off last year um, on a super high note with uh, some of the cool stuff that I had been involved in and some of the restaurants that I was opening. And it was really the the opportunity or the, the, the ability to start creating a TV show like we did for 2019, which was opening night. Um, I got to work with a great production company of people that are super passionate and excited um, about what it is that we were doing. I had the uh, uh, the uh, opportunity to talk to 25 different people who were getting ready to open restaurants and they wanted to do it on TV. Um, we narrowed that down to four and came out with four really dynamic people. You know, the first one um, being uh, out there in Detroit with Cork and Gable, working with those guys. And that was a tough show to shoot. First episode, first show of my own real, uh, you know, uh, where I was the host of the show after leaving Bar Rescue. And, uh, you know, people... The, the staff wasn't sure what to expect. I think they were pretty shocked when they finally found out that I wasn't going to start yelling and screaming at them. Um, you know, the second episode that we did where we ended up over there in uh, Allentown um, with just a great group of people at Greenhouse Anateca, such a wonderful group of piece of people with just a piece of shit chef, you know, a guy who uh, who had his own agenda, who didn't really give a shit about what the concept was. He wanted to take his own direction. You know, they brought another chef in afterwards who who really ended up uh, steamrolling through the kitchen and ended up quitting on a very low note, um, which is a shame because it's a restaurant that is flourishing right now, totally flourishing. Um, you know, we take a look at uh, the episode that we did up there in Boston with Jen Royal. Jen is unbelievably successful right now um, due to her own doings, you know, her own marketing, her own media. Uh, you know, she didn't take a lot of the advice that I had for her, um, but she did take some. And that, to me, uh, made a, was a big impact on me as well. Um, did an amazing episode out there in San Jacinto, California, with the boys and girls up there at the Mason Jar. Uh, which was a tough episode because I took a seasoned chef uh, who really just wanted to be on TV, who ended up making himself out to look more of an asshole than he really was, um, which is a shame. You know, that's something that that uh, that I never wanted to see. But unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast. It wasn't done for TV. Uh, I always say that when I open a restaurant, I am owner first for the first three months. That's the way that I work. My job is to make sure that the owner is set up and financially stable uh, through the opening process. And then after that three months, I am chef first, man. I am there with you. I will fight for you to be able to have your creativity and your freedom and everything else. 
But the key part to that is that you need to do your job first before we can get there. You've got to get an inventory done. You've got to have recipes ready and things costed out and ready to go. Otherwise, all you are is a person who can cook. You're not really a chef because being a chef isn't just being able to cook. It's about being able to financially run a, run a, run a kitchen in a stable manner. So for me, that was a really huge part of my year. And it, it actually, in, in a way, kind of humbled me because I was now sharing my information, my knowledge and my expertise in much more of a manner with somebody who genuinely needed the help as opposed to somebody who was hiring me. Not that people who hire me don't need my help because I only work with people who know that they need that help or know that they're going to need that assistance moving forward. So to me, it was a really, really big eye-opening experience. Um, I've, I interviewed some unbelievable guests on the show this year. You know, it was a huge year for the show. We ended up doing a little, you know, we're at a hundred plus episodes at this point right now over a two year process. And I'm really proud of it. I mean, I really love where we've come with Duffified Live. Um, you know, relationships that I've created with friendships from people that I've interviewed on the show, um, the respect and the, re- and the, uh, you know, the, the level of, of, uh, kind of uh, a gratitude that I have for, for Jerry and Jason with Radio Influence and Maggie and, and everybody else. It's big for me. It's really big. Um, so I, I think that you guys are really going to look forward. I hope you guys are looking forward to 2020 with some of the episodes that we're going to put out because I've got some really cool people and I think we're a little bit more directed um, at this point as to who it is that we really want to have on the show and, and who the best guests are. So um, I hope you guys are looking forward to that. Um, my travels have amassed over a hundred thousand miles this year, um, uh, which is huge for me. That was uh, oddly enough, it was a goal that I wanted to hit. I really wanted to work. I really wanted to have some amazing travels this year, and um, I, I was lucky enough to have the final travel of the year be this past weekend, where I flew down to New Orleans on Thursday. Uh, it was seventeen degrees in Philadelphia when I left. I got down there, um, and it was forty-five degrees. In New Orleans. I wasn't really ready for that. Uh, I met some of my good friends, Brad Bohannon, who's been on the show, uh, his partner, uh, his business partner, Steve Smith, um, who runs the properties as well. Uh, Brad and I had a really good kind of professional day looking at some stuff and checking some stuff out that I'm excited for, as well as um, uh, we ended up going out to dinner that night and just really kind of had a uh, had a great night out. Um, I met my buddy down there, John from uh, from Lucky Signs. Um, you know, he and I got to go around and have some fun with Jerry or with uh, Brad and Steve. Um, we had some great meals. Ended up at Acme Oyster House and a couple other little spots and had some great cocktails. And um, you know, ended up hooking up with Garrett from uh, you know G Love. Uh, he and I. Uh, tour the town up, man. We had a lot of fun checking out some of these amazing jazz spots and these clubs that I, I just never even knew existed um, in a different part of New Orleans. You know, you hear about New Orleans and all you really know about is is Bourbon Street. And you don't hear a lot about the other sections of town that uh, a lot more of the locals end up going to. And, and I really was it was an eye-opening experience for me to be able to check out some of these locations um you know down on frenchman street i I stopped and had some food and uh, we ended up at a bar called vaughn's where we watched this amazing band play 
beautiful blues and jazz and um, really high energy. And Garrett got up and he ended up playing for a while. Um, you know, he hopped up there. He travels with harmonicas. Man, that's a musician right there. Is a guy who travels with harmonicas in his pocket. And he got to play and hop in on a couple songs and eating some red beans and rice. And, you know, the next morning I, I woke up. I got home about 3.30 in the morning. I woke up and uh, I had to, you know, I had to work. So I, I banged a bunch of stuff out recipe-wise. And I was super inspired from the night before. Um, you know, G and I then hopped out for dinner a little bit later uh, that, that afternoon. Uh, or really that morning I went and I did some touristy shit. I sat down at Cafe uh, Beaumont and, uh, you know, I had some beignets and some super hot fucking coffee that burned my mouth. Um, but it was an experience. And then I walked over to a dive bar in the French corner and I sat at a dive bar with my laptop and you ready for this, a ruler and some graph paper. And I designed a kitchen uh, for friends of mine. Um, that I'm really excited about because it's a neat concept and I was stoked to be able to get that, that, that project done and out for the year. Um, I, uh, uh, that night, uh, you know, I went over, I ended up meeting G out. We ended up going to Felix's, we had some oysters then we took off from there, um, ended up down, uh, G was playing with, um, uh, Anders Osborne down at, uh, Tipitina's, this historic music house, um, in uptown of new Orleans, which was a really neat experience. I found, you know, a food truck across the street that just pulled up on the lawn and I had, uh, this sausage that they make that was just brilliant with this sauce that I'm going to be honest in, in all my years of being a culinary dude, I have no idea what the hell was in the sauce. And the guy wouldn't even share the basics, the base of what the sauce was with me. Just wouldn't even tell me. Uh, went into the show and it was on such a high, such a great vibe, um, from the energy outside to the energy inside to the food that I just had and, um, the food from the afternoon and, you know, watch this dude who I've never heard of Anders Osborne. I had never heard of, uh, and he was like just a great artist. And the next thing you know, G hops off on stage and, uh, it went off to be just a great, a really great night. Um, I ended up at a taco place, uh, down the street, a couple blocks down, I'm standing in the middle of the street, just watching these, these, this couple put these tacos together that well, I hate to say it, but it was one of the best tacos that I've ever had in my life. Um, uh, I think it was called, I can't even remember the name of it now. I'll, I'll figure it out and I'll, I'll put it in the notes or something, but, uh, just a really location, something to that effect. I don't even know. Uh, there was a dude on, uh, on Instagram who sent me a message about it and I went. And I found it and I was really stoked to, to be able to find that. So um, let me see if I can find it while I'm sitting here talking to you guys. Um, you know, next morning I wake up and I, and I hop on the plane and, you know, I'm back in Philly and I'm, I'm back with my girls. And, and, and that to me, my daughter's home from college and I'm pretty stoked. It's been a uh, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a really good year and it ended on a very positive note. So uh, I'm really happy with that. Um and, and, and I have a, a guest who's going to be on today who I think is going to really kind of balance out this year really well. Um, super energetic, super passionate about what she does, super intelligent, and just a great, not only person, but, you know, not only a great personality, but a really great person as well. Um, so if everybody will do me a favor and uh, let's get ready to rock and roll, man. Let's... Uh, Let's get uh, Rose Lawrence up here. Let's get her on the show. Let's get her to Duffified Live. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Duffified Live, Rose Lawrence. Good morning, Rose Lawrence. How are you today? Good morning, Brian Duffy. I am great. <laughs> 
<laughs> you are great. I can hear it in your voice. You had uh, mentioned <laughs> that you're you're hopped up right now. Oh yes, I'm a little hopped up on some painkillers. That's true. So my usual bubbly personality is more bland. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So uh, so. We, we had this conversation briefly a couple seconds ago, and I had to stop the conversation because I felt the need that everybody needed to hear this. So what happened? <laughs> uh, so I had a pretty classic kitchen accident. Um, I was teaching a class on how to make a holiday rib roast oh. uh, for about 30 people. So we had about 20 pounds of meat with the bone in looking beautiful in the oven. I was basting it with butter and a rosemary brush, you know, all the fancy stuff. And I pulled it from the oven and some of the beef fat splashed on my leg at 400 degrees. So I got a really, really sick burn on the majority of my right thigh. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, my doctor was amazing. Like I went to urgent care and he walked in and the first thing he said was, Man, it smells really good in here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Let's focus, Doc. Let's focus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know for the rest of like the hour he treated me, he gave me his like latka recipe. Oh, he told Jesus. me how much he likes barbecue. <laughs> By the time he walked out, I was like, that is not a doctor. That is a cook someone gave a clipboard to. <laughs> exactly. All kitchen. he did was he's like, uh, Percocet. Yeah, Percocet. You'll be fine. Let's talk about the rib roast. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah, awesome. exactly. He's like, so what were you doing? <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, so, so I'm on the mend. It's so funny because, you know, I mean, we've all been in the hospital. We've all done those things. We've all had yeah. those mistakes. I mean, I, I was just telling Jason that I actually can't. I have a very hard time texting because the skin on my fingertips is dead from many years oh, of, yeah. of either grabbing stuff. I mean, you know, you, I mean, I, I have two thumbs. One, my left hand has what I call New York strip cuts, which are when you're cutting in a one by one <laughs> strip and you're taking that fat cap off the top of it and the knife slips out uh, and then just goes directly through your fingertips. <laughs> so you just or, have like lots of angles on your fingertips. Oh of my God, it's ho- I have to send you a picture of them. They're horrible. My thumbs, <laughs> my left thumb, I or well, I guess it was my left thumb. On a Friday and then a Tuesday, Friday night, I ran my right thumb over the slicer cutting rutabagas. I was making rutabaga chips and literally took the entire tip off 11 stitches into the hospital (laughs) out in an hour and a half. They had me done back on the line. I was expediting back to the kitchen. (laughs) Tuesday, I was cutting through uh, parsnips. And with my big 11-stitched bandaged thumb, cutting through parsnips, and took off my other thumb tip, went to a different hospital because I was so embarrassed I didn't want to go back to the same one. Yeah, you're embarrassed. You can't tell your face. But the one common denominator of all of these things, no matter how many stitches, no matter how many burns, no matter how many cuts – Everybody starts talking to you. So what kind of chef are you? What do you cook? What's your favorite recipe? What do you oh, like yeah, to yeah. do? <laughs> it's it's just, it's awesome. I know. They get so excited. It's like, you should be focusing. I feel like you're getting distracted. <laughs> are you sure you want that needle there? Okay. All right. So, yeah. uh, I don't so know, Rose, to me like you shouldn't go by root vegetables too often. Oh my God. Rutabaga's in part. Rutabaga chips. I pulled them off of the menu the next week. I mean, I really fucked up my <laughs> finger. 
I mean, it was bad. I have dead skin, like, uh, both of my thumbs, and I can't. It's a hard yeah, time. Yeah, I did that with a. Go ahead. I did that with a mandolin once. Um, oh, French torture for America. Salad. French torture. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. I like cut off the tip of my finger and like threw it away and just kept making the salad. So uh, I was like, oh, you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, uh, but family meals coming up. <laughs> so was it? But was it? But you like, know what? I don't know if you've had. Huh? Was oh, it, it like was a, a? It was a chunk. But I'm saying, was it like, was it a mat fur uh, mandolin or was it one of those little Ben Reini, like the Japanese mandolins that have oh, the surgical yeah, steel blade? Yeah, it was the Japanese one. Ugh, yeah, and it was the it was first clean. time I'd used it. So it was, it was asking for blood. It needed a sacrifice. If, if there's Every any, new mandolin demands a sacrifice. Uh, any new cook that comes in. You know, I always I always say to them, you have to learn how to use a knife first. So let me teach you how to julienne a carrot, julienne an onion, like do all the basic shit. And then I'll teach you how to use a mandolin. Well, and, you know, I had a kid a couple mm. months ago, first fucking day coming into the kitchen. We were doing julienne carrots for coleslaw and he takes the first slice and just rips his finger apart. First one didn't even. And I'm like, I told you I was going to teach you how to use a knife, dude. Right off the bat. Yeah, I st- I try and stay so far from the mandolin. I was like, you people always are like, oh, it's so sexy. I want to use that. It's just yeah. You don't know what you're asking for, man. It's going to take your fingers. You're going to start traveling, and then no longer going to be able to take your fingerprints, which is what yep. happened to me last time I went to Europe. I couldn't take my fingerprints. Really? <laughs> See, I have scars. I was like, I have- it all have like a side job as like international spies. Yes. Just put you back in the kit. That's what they should do to the spies when they're done is just throw them in the kitchen for a month. Give them a knife, a mandolin, <laughs> and a slicer, and you're good. You'll age really you're fast. Like, you're going to get wrinkles. You'll get fat. Yeah, get we'll send perfect. you out in five years. No one will recognize you. Exactly. You're done. Exactly. Was, Mission impossible. I was just talking to my friend about that, how, like, before I went into the kitchen, people used to think I was 10 years younger than I was. Oh, and then, man. like, two years in the kitchen, people started guessing my age. And I was like, oh, God, what happened? <laughs> well, how old are you? You, don't but, you know, me. it's a passion and a love of where it's great. Oh, I am 35. I just turned 35. Okay. So you're, like, right in that. That you're in that, I, I think like 35 is the sweet spot for for, oh, for yeah, chefs, I and I just think because you've you've done it for a period of time, so you've got a really good uh, you've got a really good amount of 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 experience behind you, you know. Yeah. But but you're not like 40 where you're like, why the fuck am I standing in a kitchen still? You know, like, like I find that and especially with what I do of travel all the time and meeting different chefs and and all of that. I just find that that 35 year old chef is is the happiest. I don't know why. I, I mean, mm. it's just where I am. I mean, that makes so. sense to me. I think you're right. I mean, I feel like I definitely have a groove because I've been doing this for about 10 years now. So, like, yeah. I know what I'm doing when I'm my way around. I feel like you know, that sort of language of food and creativity I feel comfortable with. So I'm able to like improv and do all the things that, you know, semi-impress people on the side, but right. I still have some energy. I, I do look ahead at like people who are older than me and like sort of just, you know, the, the cost of, I think any industry, but certainly in your, in the kitchen, I mean, I feel like we, the only mm, parallel or analogy is like a professional athlete. Cause that's the only thing I can think of that's like on their feet as much doing as many repetitive motions, doing it every day and working at a high level. Like that, 
that field, you have physical therapists and doctors assigned you. Acupuncturists. We don't have that sort of scaffolding to support. So, like, you know, I feel like when I went into the kitchen, I knew that it was going to be, like, hard work. But it's disappointing there isn't more of that, like, sort of available. You know, know, I, I, uh, there's actually, there's two, two things to this. The one is I, my, my restaurant in Philadelphia is around the corner from an acupuncturist and a chiropractor. So I'll be like, all right, guys, I got to run to the acupuncturist (laughs) real quick. I'm going to run and just get some needles. I'll be back in an hour and 15. Make sure you pull the stock off. Don't forget to get the sauce off the stove and the smoke, the ribs (laughs) are in the smoke. So it's that constant. Well, I mean, you know, you've got, we've, I mean, look, I wish I knew, about some of these alternative methods when I was younger, you know, I mean, I just pushed through. I mean, look, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I've got arthritis in the top of my fucking feet. Like, how do you get arthritis in the top of your feet is the number one. Yeah. Question. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. It gives me it's a whole fun. new thing to be worried about. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I get cortisone shots. <laughs> oh, <laughs> What's that pain? What's that pain? What's that pain? Um, yeah. That sounds terrible. Hold on. We skipped a whole part here. Who are you? What do you do? And how do we get in contact with you? Go for it. Uh, I'm Rose Lawrence. I'm an accountant. Just kidding. I am a pastry <laughs> chef. Uh, Wrong show, Jace. I run, a, <laughs> I run a, a bakery called Red Bread that does uh, sourdough, whole grain, bread, pastries, and preservation, and we ship nationwide. Uh, I also do a lot of events around the nation and here in Los Angeles where I am, and I consult for uh, dinner restaurants around town. So most recently right now, I'm I'm doing the pastry for Rosso Blue, an Italian place from Steve Sampson, downtown in the Arts District. So you can see all my Nona-ness coming out there. Oh, I love um, it. And you can reach me there, or you can reach me at rose at eatredbread.com. What about your social media? How do we follow you? Oh, I am at T Rose Lawrence. So that's T-R-O-S-E-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. Or you can follow me at Red Bread. But that's going to show much more of the like social justice initiatives that we do because I've set the bakery up to be like really community oriented. and Everything we take, we give back. Um, so sort of an experiment in social entrepreneurship. That's cool. That's cool. Now, so you and I yeah. met uh, for what's the T for? Oh, my first name is Tara. Oh, there you go. Cool. Yeah. So I'm, nice. I'm a good Southern girl. Two first names hyphenated. Tara Rose. <laughs> really? Where are you from? Uh, I was born in Florida, but I grew up in Ecuador. Um, but then I came back and lived in Virginia. So I just, all my sort Jesus. of food memories are either Latin American or they're Southern. So yeah. for, for ease of reference, I, I consider myself Southern. But Plus, it's, I but, mean, I want to be part of the nation that makes a good biscuit. So. <laughs> you know, I've always wondered about like I, I hear people talk about Virginia being southern, whereas I don't consider Virginia southern. I mean, I well, see Virginia the old more. Dominion. I mean, it was the seat yeah. of the Confederacy. <laughs> okay, I guess you're. I guess I, I guess when you put you. it that way, I think I think it's on the line, and sort of socially, it doesn't feel like the South, especially modern Virginia and and parts of it. Certainly like I grew up in Northern Virginia and that is very liberal, very, very democratic. Everyone works in DC and it's a diplomat. 
Um, but I went to college in Southern Virginia and had a college of William and Mary and very, very conservative, very right. rural outside of Williamsburg. So there's a big range. And then like Florida, no one considers Florida period. No, so, they don't. Florida. It, seriously. Like sort of, <laughs> what part? Um, I was born in St. Pete, so I was on the Gulf side, which yeah. is great because I grew up thinking that all ocean water was warm. And man, was I shocked when I met the Pacific and the Atlantic. <laughs> Seriously, Jesus. Um, yeah, one, was, I lived in very big shock. I lived in Florida at the end uh, when I graduated culinary school. So I graduated school December oh. 9th. And December no, or December sixth, I graduated. December 9th, I moved to Key Largo, and the way that everybody oh, <laughs> explained the Florida to me was that Florida was a funnel for the United States, and that all the shit. Oh my god! Like, like that literally <laughs> was. A harsh the, one. <laughs> it's a harsh one. But it's so funny because I, when I think yeah. about Florida, I only I know very few people that are actually from Florida. You know, a couple here and there, oh, but most of they're just not telling you. Well, <laughs> but it's also based on the, how they spell their name because people in Florida just spell everything completely different. Like if I met you and you're like, "Oh, my name's, oh. name's Rose. I'm from Florida," and I'd be like, "Oh, how do you spell that?" You're like R O H W S. Like, like they would have. There's, all, there's always been. And even now, my daughter That's goes hilarious. to my, my daughter goes to Jacksonville, and her boyfriend's name is Cameron, oh, okay. which he spells normally. But every oh, time that K? I text about him, oh. no. But every time I text about him, I'm like, "How's Cameron?" K H A M E R H O N, and you know, it's just got <laughs> the, the, the joke. But um, Ugh, I think it's hilarious. So how yeah, did I was you only up? there like when I was very, very young. Um, but I do remember like some weird stuff. Like I remember walking home from like first grade from the bus stop and I had this one neighbor who was really old. She was like in her sixties, seventies. And she wanted to like connect with me and my siblings so much. And I guess the way she did that was with floats, like root beer floats, except not once in all the years that I went to her house. Did I eat a root beer float? She just made a float out of any soda and any ice cream. She had. Oh, that's she got weird really fast. Dr. Pepper and strawberry shortcake does not work. Yeah. Or like ginger ale with chocolate peanut butter in it. It's just like, okay. But how odd is that 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 this woman was giving you I don't know now, here's where my brain goes into a different direction, but how funny is it or 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 kind of serendipitous that this woman is giving you sweets of ice cream and soda and now you do pastries and bread. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's all sort of hilarious because my mom used to never let me have sugar. And, like, I didn't have a big sweet tooth as a, a kid, but I was, like, a really good kid, too. So, like, the only way I figured out to rebel against her that still made me feel comfortable was by eating sugar. Right. So it's funny that, like, basically my life is like a full-blown rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my mother saying to me, because I was hell on wheels. I mean, I broke my wrist 12 times. Oh, I bet. <laughs> like I was, I had scars. Like I had a dossier of full, you know, of scars and the whole nine yards. Um, and I remember my mother, when I went to culinary school, she said to me, because she gave me my first set of knives and she handed me them for my, for whatever, right before I started school. And she's like, I can't oh, believe I'm so doing sweet. this. 
but I'm sending you to school to play with knives for the rest of your life. You know, because she was, I mean, my mother was a nurse, so she knew my mother used to come with plaster of Paris to reset my casts at the end of the day. Because I'd be out climbing wood piles and running in the water and playing in the creeks and yeah. So yeah, the irony of it all. My mother was a nutritionist. (laughs) Oh Jesus. Oh my God. But, but I think that that now, but you were saying that you do a lot of stuff with some of the, um, like some of the heirloom stuff though. I mean, you're really bringing back some of the classic recipes. Oh yeah. I think that like, I mean, I think that what I'm known for, for sure is sort of making dessert healthy, which really, when I say that people get their faces all screwed up and get really passionate to fight me on it. And I'm just like, come on, man, don't you want a good reason to have dessert? Like we're all winning here. But I, I love to use a ton of whole grains because I mean, that's what I grew up on. Not only just because my mom was very health focused, but um, in Ecuador, there's not a lot of wheat there's quinoa and there's couscous. So I would eat that. And like now that's all the rage here. But back when I was young and came back to this country and was eating that, it was like witch food. So no one wanted to trade me their snack pack at at the cafeteria for my quinoa pudding. But now like you can sell it for like $18 a bowl. Um, So it's sort of wild how like time has sort of caught up with, with her and, um, I grew up eating so many fresh vegetables from her garden and I, I crave them all the time. And I think that so many of them are so naturally sweet. So it seems so obvious to me to put more than just carrots and parsnips and put of the root vegetables we're accustomed to putting in dessert. You know, like I love adding corn and sweet peas and doing weird things with mushrooms just because I feel like they add such earthiness and depth that really balances out sugar. You know, we talk so much in cooking about having like salt, acid, fat, and um, bitterness and like sort of rounding out something. But when we get to desserts, like sweet, sweet. Right. I just feel like that's so like we're letting ourselves down. There's like so much we could experience um, that would well, make it, it not feel so guilty. But I think that what we've what we've what we have all grown up with, despite the age, is that that is you you know when you finish a savory meal, you finish with a super sweet you know ending. I mean that's just the way that it is. It's going to be yeah. you know it goes with a mousse or you you know you talk to anybody and what's the one dessert that you want to see on a menu when you're done and everybody says it a big fat chocolate cake. Like nobody's saying, yeah, that they you gotta have, have chocolate in this country. <laughs> yeah, you have to, or else you're a horrible restaurant. Like, I, I, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the dog park the other day, and a woman was te- was telling me how she had just eaten at the Four Seasons, uh, which is a John George place, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, and the worst thing about the entire meal was that they didn't have anything really super chocolatey on the menu at the end, mm-hmm. and that was her statement. Yeah, I mean, this was you, the you, other day. You got to have something decadent. And I'm not like, I always have chocolate. Like I am, I'm very big on balancing a dessert menu. I think you need to have a chocolate. I think you need to have something that focuses on nuts. And I think you need to have like two, three others that are very fruit seasonal forward. One's vegan and gluten-free. That's incredible. But I'm, I'm more for like naturally making it that way. I don't buy into like substitutions. I think that any diet 
that is around can be celebrated with like whole foods easily. Um, But for instance, like a a chocolate dish that I am rolling out for Russet Blue soon is uh, a chocolate espresso butternut squash spumoni. So it is a mascarpone chocolate cocoa nib cake that's topped with butternut squash semifredo and then espresso semifredo. And then it's served in a hot, fudge coffee sauce so it'll knock you down with chocolate so you're also eating like two servings of butternut squash which brings out the chocolate that i'm using i think it really like warms it up and makes it like really melt in your mouth and for you to fully experience that sensation um so do you ship that as well as your bread like (laughs) <laughs> no, it's too expensive to ship ice cream. Yeah, um, seriously. But that's kind of that's kind of my vibe, you know. And like, like our the apple crostata we have on right now has um, spelt flour, and it has fried, a ton of fried sage laminated into the dough because I think wow. there should be more herbs and pastries. I think you, as well. you posted something, didn't you, a couple of weeks ago about that mm-hmm. dough? Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing yeah. that. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, I'd like to, I haven't done a ton of that, but I've done it with a lot of like herbs and cocoa nibs and poppy seeds, but never a fresh herb, but sage just made so much sense. And when you fry it, as you know, it gets really crispy and then it it breaks up in the dough. And so when it bakes, it's just like funfettied with green and it just tastes so like warm and savory, but then it's filled with all these like really sweet brown sugar apples. So like it, it, and then it's served with a like a cheesy pastry cream. So it's a, a play on a classic dessert of fruit and cheese, but it's a little like sort of zhuzh and Americanized and also <laughs> vegetableized and whole grainized and rosified. <laughs> so where did you, so where did you learn the basics? Where did you learn the original uh, craft of baking? Um, I, uh, I taught myself mostly, you know, my, my birthday was always, it seemed on the first day of school. So, and we moved around a lot, um, when I was young. So my mom taught me how to make cookies so that I would always have friends immediately. Cause I could walk in first day of school and be like, it's my birthday. Right. <laughs> Just like steal the day basically. <laughs> um, and so I kept that tradition up like my whole life, uh, but I, I went through several career changes. I thought I was going to be an actor first, and I acted in Europe a little and on the East Coast. And, and then I went to Tibet for a year and saw all these horrible human rights atrocities. And I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. So <laughs> I went to law school and uh, out here at UCLA Law. And uh, it was sort of in my last year that I started just getting kind of sick with eating a lot of the food here. And... Um, it occurred to me that it was like the first time I'd really been in the States for a prolonged time and maybe it was the food. And I started sort of looking at comparative food systems because I had practiced international human rights law and a lot of that was comparing different legal systems. So I was used to this sort of comparative analysis and I saw that like our food system was so different from other countries to the point that we defined basic foods so differently so bread is defined differently by like the rest of the world than how Completely. we define it. Completely. We and it was one of the things process. I was told not to eat. Yeah, well, we have not... a very chemical process. We have an industrialized process. 
And I think the thing that's the scariest about that for me is, you know, you can walk into the grocery store and you can buy a loaf of Wonder Bread for $1.25. But if I want to buy an all natural clean product, you know, that's got a shelf life, um, you know, I'm paying six bucks. (laughs) I mean, that's bad. Yeah. Or, or more sometimes. Yeah. The disparity is really huge, but the problem is that like we, sort of from a customer's perspective, you forget that like all of the other prices that you're used to are unnaturally low. Exactly. Like they're government subsidized low. So, and so like, that's not an actual cost. And the other one is a true cost and someone's really trying. And so like, I feel, I wish people would sort of see that. And then, you know, we can make so much, we can be heard so well by using our, our dollars. And so often so many of us have very few, but at the same time in the last 10 years, like people switching to buying slightly higher quality food has meant they, they eat less because you're, you're more satisfied quicker right. and money has shifted from commercial supported sort of regulations to uh, a newer farm bill. So like things are shifting in this country, but it's a large country. So it, it takes some time. But this all really interested me and I couldn't find, you know, bread kind of captivated me because I was like, it's so simple. Why is it so complicated in this country? So I, uh, I tried to find some that I thought was real bread. I couldn't. So I made some. And then it was just a, a pleasure issue. Like I put my hands in the dough of water, salt <laughs> and flour because I went full sourdough. I was just like, I'm going to do it so yeah, hardcore. hardcore. Like, sure traditional. Yeah. And, and it felt so good. It felt so good just under my hands. And then when it came out of the oven and it was like sustenance, like, like the thing that you give prisoners still, <laughs> like even when we don't like you, we think you deserve bread. You know, I thought that was so powerful and it just like blew my mind. So the next day I made 13 loaves and the next day I made 48 loaves and the next day I made a hundred loaves. And I um, figured I, I could go broke making everyone in the neighborhood bread. Or right. since I had this law degree I was sitting on, I could found a business and try to take all these things I learned about community building internationally and see if I could do them here in L.A. And that was sort Jeez. of where it began. And people loved it so much. They like they recognized it. You know, it was like I went to the farmer's market and I was next to someone making more commercial bread. And without having to explain myself, people would just come over and they were like, this looks real. I don't yeah. even know how else to explain it. And I was just like, it is. <laughs> you can have it. You know, so well, that I mean, I think that's like the classic thing. Like when you get in the kitchen and someone falls in love with something, you just you want to do it again. You want to see sort of that connection. Um, so then I just started reading as much as I could so that I could like keep up with like the demand. Like people were asking me questions and I didn't have the answer. So I was just like, I'm going to read every book I can on bread. I'm going to read every book I can on baking. Uh, I love preservation. I'm going to read every book I can on preservation. <laughs> and uh, I just was voracious. I just read and read and read and read and read. I don't have normal books anymore. I just have cookbooks. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's funny is over the years with my books, I've kind of, I've kind of, I've, I've migrated to, to a, a whole different series of books, especially things that are talking more about the natural way of cooking, utilizing stuff that's been around for years, because as we get, you know, as in this industry, we're, we're looking for shortcuts for things. You know I mean? A, a couple of years ago, 
I remember being invited to a U.S. food show. And my guy's like, Brian, I got some stuff I have to have you see. You've got to check this out. Come down here right now. It's amazing. So I get down to the show and he's like, mm-hmm. I've got a vegan Bloody Mary mix. And I'm like, well, what the, f- really, this is why I'm here? Because you've got to, it's already vegan, dude. We're already there. We don't have yeah, to. Yeah, wait, wait a second. I'm confused. <laughs> but the other thing that he wanted to show me was riced cauliflower. You know, he's like, and oh, I'm like okay. okay, well, how much is rice cauliflower? So like it's $5 a pound. And I'm like, dude, I can make rice cauliflower wow. for 35 cents a pound in my restaurant. Why are you? And it was at that point that, and this was a, this was a bunch of years ago, but it was at that point that I decided that I was going to start really trying to work more on the technique level of things rather than teaching guys mm-hmm. shortcuts. I wanted to start teaching them the real ways the things are done. You know, instead of saying, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just buy a bag of julienne carrots. What I can do is I'll teach you how to julienne a carrot, you know, because I think that those yeah, are things that so are going like away. People how to really cook. And in this day yeah, and age, I agree. Where it's sort of every like fundamental. Yeah. I mean, everybody's a chef. Yeah. Every resume that I look at, I've got a saute chef. I've got a grill chef. I've got a prep chef. Like everybody is a what? chef. <laughs> there are no more cooks. They're all fucking chefs. Um, you know, oh, I mean, man, one like, of my favorites that I've ever seen is an executive junior sous chef. I was like, oh, what is that? nice. <laughs> well, ask, but here's, here's my ready for this. So the next time that you see an executive chef on a resume and you start asking that person, I start off immediately. So you're the executive chef of the property. Yes. Okay. Well, why don't we, why don't you talk to me about your numbers? What kind of volume were you guys doing? Uh, well, we were, you know, 300 mm. covers a night. Okay. Well, what kind of financial volume? Let's talk. Well, they never shared that information with you. So you were an executive chef of a restaurant who had zero financial responsibility. Well, let's break oh, yeah, that, that down. You know what I mean? Likely. It's like, so these are the things that I have found <laughs> year after year. I would say that 20% of the people that I interview anymore ask for a second interview because they didn't feel as if they were prepared for the first. Wow. That's because so wild. I, I mean, I know people pad their resumes, but I would feel so, I mean, I would just feel like I could never do that. I would feel so like caught. Like I would feel like someone would immediately ask me that and I'd just be like, oh, fuck. You know? Well, I mean, but that's it's the thing. It's better to like admit you don't know a lot and like you're here to learn and you're excited than to come in someplace, any place. I think it'd be like, yeah, I got this. You're I mean, setting I'm- yourself up for failure. I'm trying to hire, you know, I do a lot of hiring for clients and stuff like that. So, so I see more resumes than the average person does. But if I see somebody who's been working for 10 or 12 years, they were a, they were a line cook, then when they were a sous chef, then they were a chef, they were an executive chef, then I'm going to have conversations with them. But if I'm looking at resumes and you've been cooking for two and a half years and you're the executive chef of a property, we're going to have a different conversation. You know, I know right. that that conversation, I may not, I may bypass you for that because I just don't feel that you're qualified to, in reality, be the executive yeah. chef of a property at that point. So, but, um, but it's great that you have that experience to bounce that off of. I think there's a lot of like small businesses that like will get these resumes from people who are padded them and oh, yes. they don't know a lot more and they're looking for someone with experience. It's real easy to like sort of lose your shirt on someone that way. Well, I mean, and that's, uh, you know, what's really funny is that, uh, you know, with my new show, with opening night, the, one of the biggest things was I'm dealing with owners who have never owned a restaurant before. So they're seeing a resume Mm -hmm. from somebody who is an executive chef of the last place. They ran a catering company, you know, so they're talking about all this stuff and they're, and they're seeing, they're seeing dollar signs behind this guy because this or or girl who's going to make them a boatload of money. 
of the four yeah. episodes that I had done. That's my dog screaming in the background. Of the four oh, episodes okay. that I had done originally, four chefs were fired. Like they were wow. fired. They just had zero idea what they were doing. I had one guy who said, uh, I am not, how did he put it? Uh, I am not an expediter. I'm an executive chef. I don't do expediting. Like these are things that these What's people that? are saying. And that, well, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the media. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you win top chef. And now the next thing you know, you're the executive chef of a restaurant. You win hell's kitchen and Gordon mm-hmm. Ramsay is putting you into one of his properties as an executive chef. But what they don't tell you is that underneath of there, you've got four executive chefs that are backing you up. You've, you know, we've got an executive chef, right. two sous chefs, you've got three garmages, you know, like you're really working in a French brigade kitchen. So we are creating a world through media of falsified information. You know, it's like, yeah, Master I agree. Chef. And I think that there's actually so, there's so few places that still run a full brigade too. Yeah. So well, it's like, too expensive. You can't. Yeah. So, like, you, you really need to find people when you're hiring who, like, aren't as committed to, like, this is my only role because right. you have to be, like, more expansive and, and willing, yeah. you know? I feel like probably I don't interview very well. Usually I sit down and I'm like, I'm sure I have no idea how to do what you want me to do, but I'm really pumped and I'll definitely work and really And you'll figure it out. But there's a but there's a yeah, there's I'll a way. Yeah, figure it out. Here's a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My mother taught me this many years ago. Here's that a cookie. Just seals the deal. Yeah, that, that just seals the deal. <laughs> Can I have a play date now? now? I'll be over it too. Um <laughs> I think, uh, but I mean, it's in reality, you know, coming from a media end of it, I mean, you you look at a show called, called MasterChef. I mean, there's 114 Mm -hmm. MasterChefs in the, in the world. And now we have a TV show called MasterChef, you know? So, I mean, in a MasterChef. It's like actually a thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I've had, I've done appearances before and people are like, you know, and MasterChef Brian Duffy. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. I am not a master yeah. chef. You know, I don't want that title of master chef because I didn't earn the title of master chef. And, and, and it's a degree. Yeah, and you're taking it seriously enough that it like it matters. Well, I mean, you know, there's people out there with social media with master chef on their names and they're not. And, and I, I find that as kind of a disservice to somebody who spent, you know, a, a career, uh, even whether it be a young career or an old career, amassing the experience and the knowledge that they have to be able to pass that four day test that's only put on a couple of years. I, that, that's that's it, it would be like me saying that I'm, a, I'm an attorney when I'm not. <laughs> yeah, so. but on, on that end, like you can get arrested for that. But like exactly. there's no yeah, one right. sort of regulating <laughs> our we need industry, a cl- we need- right? <laughs> Exactly. I want to get like some sort of moral culinary police now. I want to start a moral we culinary have police. One. Yeah. Where they just Listen, call I'm sorry. going to totally out me. <laughs> no, totally because, out me as a because, super nerd. But like the moral conduct test was my favorite no, one no. to take as a lawyer because I thought it was so exciting to sit down with people and think that we were all agreeing that these things mattered. You know? And it turns out most of the lawyers like fucking break them. But I took it seriously. (laughs) And I think it would be so great. I think like a lot of individual places are developing sort of these like rules of integrity and how we act and how we treat people. But 
I think it would be so beautiful and so revolutionary if as a larger community, we sort of came together and like wrote those things down and like adhered to them. Well, there's a lot of cool kind of groups that are coming out now to really um, help with, uh, with the culinary industry. I mean, I have a woman in Philadelphia who own, who runs a company called Cooks Who Care. And some of the stuff, and she's been on the show as well, and some of the stuff that she does is like talk to cooks about financials. You know, like I oh, wish wow, God, that's so incredible. I mean, to talk to them about wellness, to talk about taking care of yourself and setting yourself up for the future. Look, I'm 48 years old. I wish to God that I would have known starting in this industry that there was no 401k. That there was no retirement, yeah. there was no profit sharing. There was, I just worked, you know, I just busted my ass for as long as I could. And then I got to a point that thank God, 10, 15 years ago, I started to say, wait a second here. What are you guys talking about with your 401ks with people matching? I need to get more involved in that. What are you talking about with this? Like I started to get involved in stocks and, and, and there's a lot of people out there mm. that just don't know that. You know what the other thing is? I'm starting to tell people to stop wearing fucking sneakers in the kitchen. I'm like, put a real pair of shoes on because in 10 years, your feet are going to They're going to kill you. Yeah. Boy, do those Birkenstocks. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. It's like, how can you learn what no one tells you? Like, you only can learn what someone shows you. And exactly. people in the kitchen come from such varied backgrounds. Like, it's. I think it's really beautiful that someone's trying to, like, step in and sort of give, not just cooks, but, like, young people. I feel like young people don't get the information that they, they don't know they want and they need. Right. That could well, help all, them, you know, I mean, my, and you think you're invisible then. So you're just like, I'm going to bust my body. I'm fine. <laughs> I got this covered. Give me that case of ribs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got that by myself. I don't need you any know. help carrying this. I'm not lifting with my knees. Um, I, uh, I mean, even with my daughters, like I'm telling my girls now, I'm saying, hey, look, every di- every paycheck you get, you need to take this much out and put it aside. Every single time yeah. you guys get something like because we're in a weird place because we're, we have so many entrepreneurs out there now. We have so many entrepreneurs out yeah. there that are planning for how they're going to make it through the next month or the next year. How are they going to and they're not planning on how they're going to make it through the next 40. So, yeah, I know. I, it's scary. Know. I mean, it's the invincibility thing. And then there's a lot of just like concern, like the economy, not just like, you know, not like the old world. Oh, the economy can be like hard and strange and whatever. But I think that because of the time we're in now with technology and social media and the fact that if you do have the gumption and you have an idea for branding, you can kind of be a one man show. It makes the ocean redder. So like, how do you figure out how to sustain yourself in, in in an economy, in a world that requires you to have many hustles just hustle nonstop, but also, you know, plan ahead because usually in a, uh, an older structure, like you said, like 401k is not something you really had to think about if you went in and became an accountant because that was going to be set up for you. You just right. got into it. Exactly. You know? So like that not being there, like why would you ever think to do it? You know, yeah. like I, I think it's, there's, it's, it's tricky. There's a couple of really good, um, restaurant groups out there that are really taking very good care of people. You know, my buddy Ford Fry, who's down in Atlanta, he's got a whole bunch of restaurants. And I'll tell you what, you walk into his restaurant and you feel the 
the vibe of how well mm-hmm. they're treated. The staff is on fire. I mean, I've gone out with a couple of people, uh, you know, from his group at the end of the night and listen to the way that they talk about him, listen to the way they talk about the restaurant group itself. You know, he and I met in a potato field and, and I listened to him speak about how well he treated his employees and he wasn't bragging about it. He was talking about it as this is the way that it, it should be. You know, this is the way that we should mm-hmm. be taking care of people. And um, it was very refreshing. You know, it was very refreshing. He pays pays his staff a good wage. He gives them benefits. You know, he really takes care of his staff, and it's a nice thing. So, I don't know. We just went on a tangent. I mean, I I firmly believe if you take care of people, like, they want to stay. You know, like, I think cooks get a bad rap because they're like, oh, well, they don't care. They're going to move on in a year. And it's like, a year is, like, when you move on in any relationship, if it's not giving you back something. Like, it doesn't matter that it's a job. It's just like, it has to be an equal exchange. And if I'm taking care of you and you're working every day and showing up, a.k.a. taking care of me, you like that stability. I like that stability. It's mutually beneficial. When I was running Red Thread for four years as a brick and mortar, we never had any turnover because we tried our best to take care of people and make them feel special. Well, I feel that, especially in this day and age, you know, it used to be they were that people were grateful that they had a job. Thank you so much for hiring me. There was a different, I'm going to work my ass off for you because of the fact that you've given me a job and you've trusted me in this position. But I think now it's come down to that people are, you know, there's so many jobs available. There's so many restaurants everywhere. Uh, why are you going to come and work for me for 13 bucks an hour when, you, when I can go to Outback and cut onions for 16 You know, what's the point of this for me to do it? So we as owners, operators have to remain educators. We've got to still be teaching our staff and training them and, and, and really moving them along the ladder. You know, I hire a lot of guys that are out of jail. I hire a lot of guys that have struggled. You know, I'm a barbecue spot, Philly. So, uh, you know, I want, I want to get these guys in there and I say to them, if you give me one year. And I'm not trying to say that I'm a phenom- that I'm the greatest chef in the world. What I'm saying is, if you give me one year, I will g- I will share what I have with you in that 365 day period. Like I'm going to give you an education wow, so that you can leave here and you can then go on and you can take an education for one year and go and make a career out of it for the rest of your life. I want to teach you numbers. That's I want to teach you. Well, I think that I think that too many times we're bringing people in and we're saying, okay, here's your prep list. Here's your station list. Get set, clean up, go home. But we're not sharing with them the way that it is, how to cost a recipe out, how to do a schedule, how to work labor. You know, why am I cutting you early because I'm slow? Well, here's the reason why. It's not just because I'm trying to save a couple of bucks. So there's a lot that goes into that. that In general, we hide the why. And the yes. why should be much more free. And if why you ask a question, you have a chef, free. you have a chef who's an asshole and you ask that person a question and they're like, shut the fuck up and get back on the line. You know, as opposed to, yeah, okay, well, here's exactly. why I'm doing the schedule this way, because I'm staggering you guys in because this way you can close. You know, my places before I never had the same people closing on Friday and Saturday nights. Because it's not fair. Wow, it's not fair. Cute. I'd much rather yeah, have Rose close on Friday and have off on Saturday, have off, you know, leave at nine o'clock on Saturday night so she can go out with her boyfriend, sister, best friend, whatever it works out to be, you know, but you can make those plans, Yeah. you know, instead of, well, you're here mm-hmm. until midnight. You're here until midnight, no matter what. Fuck you. You're mine. 
Like that has got to change. Yeah, yeah. Tough it out. I, yeah. yeah, and I feel like that uh, even people who feel like they're great educators like often fall short of it because they show, but they don't tell. So yes. they'll go out of their way to like muscle you out of the way and like maybe break down that chicken for you. But they're not they're not sharing the passion that lit them up and therefore that can light someone else up. And it, yeah. if I share that with you, that's what's sustaining you. That's what's going to make you come back tomorrow is the idea that you can grow and you can do something new. I just keep telling you to like shut the fuck up and keep cutting your carrots. Yeah, you're going to burn out. Why yeah, wouldn't you? Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. in a week. But it's, it is exciting to know that things are things are changing and, and people are trying to feel like more comfortable talking about things. And I mean, like I talked to, when, when you and I met up in Washington, I talked to a couple other people on the trip about this topic. And I feel like five years ago when I took a trip, like this was just not something we talked about. No, you know, it was sort of like something we were all trying to figure out on our own and putting up a face, like everything's great. You know? And, and I, I love that it's much more open because like that's sort of the first big wall to solving a problem is like, can we name it? Can we figure out some path to it? Right. Then we can solve it. Well, I think that there's so many people that are, that are on the same, that, that are on the same agreement with us, that we have these conversations and then they're going back and they're actually making a change. And then that is really leading into some of these groups that are out there. I mean, you know, we've got core children of restaurant employees, somebody who gets sick and, and core can step in and help to those kids. They can make sure that they get fed, make sure that they, they have clothes and all the other stuff. And there's another group called care, which is more or less for women with that are, that have been involved in, you know, sh- shady situations. You know, in kitchens and they're afraid to mention it or bring it up because they're they're going to get fired and then they're not going to be able to pay the rent. They're not going to be able to buy food for their kids. You know, so there's a lot of really good groups that are out there that are doing this stuff. But I think that there has to be a larger group that is really starting to set a full standard for how we pay our employees, what we're giving them in, in, in regards to that, because people aren't just coming to work for you to work for you anymore. They want something out of it. So we, I don't know, fuck it. Maybe we start, we need to start a a group. This is how it all starts. This is how it all starts. I was just about to say like the, it always like international development. Cause this is my, this is what I go back to out of the kitchen is that uh, everyone always wants to go from the outside and fix a problem and a problem right. never gets fixed unless it comes from the inside. It has to be self manifested and self driven. And this is why like, yeah, we need to start a group inside oh, yeah. the system. Exactly. And we'll start <laughs> we'll just East roll Coast, deep West with Coast. our integrity and then everyone <laughs> will get on board. Right. Exactly. And it started right here. There we go. Right now, historic right. day. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to need you to write up all the bylaws. I have a better partner. I'm going to have you have to have oh, you got with it. your law I'm degree. Living for it. All the bylaws, <laughs> and I'll just uh, we'll, we'll we'll reconvene in six months. Yeah, I think that's great. It'll it'll probably take me that long because if I were to sit down now on these painkillers oh, and write something, it would probably not make much sense. But you know what? It could probably <laughs> be one hell of a corporation. You know, people be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. There'd be a lot we of only- cookie rewards. <laughs> <laughs> we could give out cookie pins, cookie stickers, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now we've got the young people. Now we got them. We, we just hooked them right in. It's awesome. So what is your so what's going on for you for the next couple of months? I mean, what you know, it's a busy one of the busiest times of the year. And I'm uh, especially for pastries and yeah. bread. And I've got you on the phone. So yeah. what's going on for you right now? 
Uh, so I am getting ready to make a ton of stuff for uh, the New Year celebration. Uh, making a lot of uh, biscotti and some Sicilian style cassettas. I'm going to use toasted salt flour filled with lemon curd and frost with mascarpone and like drizzle chocolate all over, like little mini cakes for the new year. Uh, I'm developing a lot of bread for Rosso Blue, um, launching some new products for Red Bread, and I keep teaching. So I teach at a um, school here in Santa Monica. Uh, I teach all kinds of pasta, pastries, southern regional cuisines, um, and I am trying to self-publish a book. That's sort of my big project on the horizon. Wow. you know, I have a yeah, very, I want to. <laughs> I have a very good what? friend of mine who is also my culinary producer and my culinary assistant, who has seventeen cookbooks under her belt. So, if you need wow. any help with anything, I would love to do a connection between you guys. She's a wonderful. Yeah, that would be great. And she lives in LA. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, amazing. Then we yeah. can go. We can brunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, she did. She yeah, that'd wrote, be amazing. She wrote the cookbook for Lemonade. She did, uh, I think it's called Chard. I can't remember the name of the other okay. book. But she's got 17 under her belt, and she's just wonderful. I mean, I adore her, and I'm, I'm, I have the, the pleasure and the luck of being able to travel around the country with her, one for my show and two ah. for my some of my live stuff that I do that – you know what? She, it's beneath her what she does, but we have so much fun when we travel that it's just a really cool. That, that's wrong of me to say that it's beneath her. That's a really that's not the right way to say that. She's she's so talented that I'm lucky enough to be able to have her come and do these. You're things. lucky. Yeah, yeah, I really do feel that way. Well, that's good. I mean, people so, do what do people do what they love. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'll totally glad connect you guys. Have you guys. Like a great connection there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, I'm just I wanna I wanna finally do it and collect all these recipes that people love from Red Bread, and just publish the book. It's sort of been sitting around for a couple of years now because traditional publishers wanted me to keep saying, oh my God, it's so easy every yeah. sentence. And but I think we're so far I, beyond I, that. I want to challenge people. Yeah, we're beyond I want to challenge now. people. I want to tell you this isn't easy, but you can do it. Have you watched, uh, what, what's what's uh, Ben Affleck's old, his ex-wife's name? The hell's her name? Uh, Jennifer Garner. Okay. Have you seen any of the videos that she does on Instagram, the IGTV stuff where she cooks? No, I don't think so. She goes directly from a book sometimes and she, and she was just doing, I, I, the reason why I say this is because I was watching her make bread the other day and she was talking about it and she said, and she was like, look, it's not easy, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, like I only have a certain yeah. amount of time. It was like a two day process for her to get her bread ready, for her to get the whole thing rolled out and proofed and set and in the oven. And, you know, she did such a great job in this six minute video. But one of the first things that she said is she's like, look, it's not easy. You know, so I think that that not it is easy. Rewarding. Exactly. And I think that people are starting to believe that food and and the process of it is so much more rewarding than what I can throw in the oven for 30 minutes and walk away. Because like crockpots, you know, I think that crockpots are kind yeah. of taking the back seat, whereas people are starting to get more involved. I mean, I do videos on fabrication now. Like, how do I break down a chicken? Oh, how do I break amazing. down a turkey? 
chicken and people they can't believe it i'm like why are you spending four dollars a pound buying a chicken breast why not just go and buy three whole chickens that are 89 cents a pound if you're lucky and they're good and, and i feel like a badass when you break and it down feel like a fucking <laughs> badass when you're breaking it down because what's the worst you spend three that's what bucks? i always think is the thing it's like yeah, it, I mean, I, that's what I always think is, like, the most incredible thing about, like, learning how to actually cook. It's, like, you will feed yourself if you follow all the, like, pop it in a microwave, pop it in an oven, do the cook trap. But if you learn some simple technique, you will feel invincible. It's my favorite thing about, like, teaching new people, <laughs> like, when they do something and they're like, I never thought I could do this. Oh, my God, give me something else. <laughs> but it's, like, it's the basics of holding a knife. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, do, I do live demonstrations eh, probably 30 to 40 times a year. And one of the first things that I start with is this is a knife. There's seven different parts to this knife. Mm. You are not Freddy Krueger. This is not how you hold the knife. This is how you hold it up. Like I, I literally break it down so that people can get the basics of it because so, what, people don't know what knife to buy. There's 40,000 knives out there. They don't know what knife to buy. What is the best knife to buy? Okay, here's the three that you need. In reality, do you even need a fillet mm -hmm. knife? No, you don't need a fucking fillet knife. Go buy a utility knife that you can do the same thing because mm -hmm. you're not breaking fish down every day. You know? So, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my, how I feel about that. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I remember like when, when someone, um, like as a pastry person, like I, uh, I learned how to work the entire line and did all the prep when I worked uh, at Jamie Fox at Rustic Canyon, because that was the rule. Um, yeah. and I remember the first time someone handed me a chicken and they were like, break this down. I was like, Oh God, this is like so antithetical to what I do, but yeah, I'm going to do this. You just oh, yeah. show me how to do it. And it's like my secret love is butchering. Like now, whenever I'm in a kitchen and they need to butcher anything, I'm like, Oh my God, let me do it. It's so beautiful. It's you just follow so, the line. Oh. So incredible to be with this gift of food. Like I, I feel like it's so romantic sexy. <laughs> so for for when I I did my apprenticeship at the Four Seasons and I remember one okay. day one of the guys now, now I mean this was many years ago I graduated culinary school in 95. So I remember okay. one day like one of you know the the sous chef came to me and he's like hey have you ever broken a duck down? I said no, I've never done that before and he's like okay well I'm going to show you and he takes a duck and he breaks it down and it took him a minute and a half whatever. And he's like, all right, now do you think you can do it? I'm like, no, show me again. And he shows me again. And then I go and I start to do it and I kind of butchered up a little bit. And he's like, don't worry, you have enough time to practice. Here's 40 of them. So that was my kind of introduction <laughs> on how to break yeah. them down. So I've always had a vision that one of the things that I wanted to do for Thanksgiving was I've always wanted to do a boned, rolled, and tied turkey. So this year, we spatchcock mm. turkeys, completely deboned them except for the wing and, the, and the, the leg bones, stuffed them, rolled them, tied them, smoked them, and roasted them for Thanksgiving. It was the biggest fucking pain in my Ooh. ass I've ever been involved in. <laughs> But the reward I hear so much love end, in that description. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny is that, like, I told people, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a knife and you're just going to cut the wing off right here. There's no bones attached to it. Just cut this wing right here and then you can slice across it. So all of these people are sending me pictures and tagging me in their pictures of these completely butchered fucking turkeys. 
completely <laughs> butchered, ripped apart, spoons in the center of them turkeys. And I'm like, no! But well, I tried to show You didn't show him how to hold a knife. So bad. I was like, show this the foundational step. Oh, but it was. You gotta, it you was, gotta include a little comic next time uh, about how well, to hold a knife before. And you so that's what's gonna happen for next year is that we're actually gonna give like an instructional video that you can go online to watch how to cook our turkeys. Amazing. Or not to cook them, but just to cut. Them. <laughs> so because we had a huge I think, response. I think that's amazing. And it was a lot of fun to do. And my staff enjoyed it because they got to see really, you know, in, in Philly, it's a barbecue spot. You know, we're practicing technique, yeah. but we're not boning out turkeys all the time. So for me, it was a really cool thing. Yeah, and I really think my staff enjoyed it. Yeah. So. All right. That's awesome. Rose. I have this like long term fantasy of like opening a, a restaurant called uh, or a butcher shop called Steaks and Cakes. Where it's just steaks and layer cakes. <laughs> oh, oh, see, there you go. Well, you know, and my, you know what I want to do? I want to open up a butcher shop tattoo shop. So. Oh, with, I feel like we could probably combine these ideas. With a window. <laughs> and all I want is a window at the back door. That's like a four foot by four foot window where the truck just pulls up behind it. And then every day we have a different style of food that pulls up behind there. So you walk in, you sit down, you oh, get yourself fine. a glass of fucking whiskey or whatever. You get your hair cut. You go over there. You meet with Tim. You get, you know, with Jeff, you get your goddamn tattoo. And then you get a crepe burger on a Tuesday or you get ramen on a Wednesday or you get fucking barbecue on Thursday. Like, that's my <laughs> these are the ideas that I have that flow through my brain. And then you finish it all off with a seven layer chocolate cake. <laughs> seven layer chocolate cake. Yes, exactly. Made from butternut squash and coconuts. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Brian, it was so fun talking to you. I You're love such a delight. I've missed you. Well, I uh, so I'm going to be in L.A. in the next couple of weeks, and I, uh, I already let Monty know that I was going to try to get out there to see her as well. I'm sure that we're going to do some stuff oh, in the future. Nice. And I want you to do yeah. me a favor. One more time, tell me who you are and tell me how people can follow you and follow this this uh, uh, just brilliant fucking journey that you're on of recreating things in a wholesome and healthy way and doing it with a whole bunch of love and science and passion. Oh, my God. You're such a babe. My name is Rose <laughs> Lawrence, and you can find me at T Rose Lawrence on Instagram or at Redbread. Or send me a direct email at hello at eatredbread.com. I look forward to meeting all you strange, beautiful people. <laughs> all right, Rose. Thank you so much for coming on. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And I will see you soon. Happy holidays, Brian. Bye. Bye. All right. That was awesome. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I really hang up or not. <laughs> no, you know, you can. I mean, you don't have to. We usually record right after. So um, that was great. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really a pleasure talking to that you. That was so fun. Good. Thanks, These are Brian. That's yeah, love, that was awesome. I love this show because it's just an opportunity for people to talk and it's a communication. And, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to get like, you know, A-list celebrities on the show. But what I found is that they wanted preset questions and that they were very guarded in regards to what it was that I talked to them mm, about. They and I'm like, I don't I don't have any interest in this. I want to just talk to people that I like. So when I met you this year, I just I, I loved your whole vibe and and the relationship that you guys had while you were there and while you were working. And and I saw the fun that you guys were having in the kitchen. And I was like, I got to talk to her. <laughs> so. Aww. Well, I'm yeah. so pumped I got to talk to you more. I was such a whirlwind. I was like, oh, there's so many people I wanted to connect with more. 
<laughs> I'm going out there in two was, weeks. Like, so overwhelmed. I'm back. Oh there. yeah, to the same place, or I thought the other one was in on the East Coast. No, so this. Oh, well, that's a different one. That's in Connecticut. Um, this is I'm back oh, out there for the okay. brew, the barbecue and brew festival. So Chad and I are flying oh, out. I, I have a crate. I'm going out. Ah, the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Chad. He's so That's so cool. Well, have fun. Uh, I will. Instagram story it so I can see. And I hope I, I hope I see you soon. I will. I'll make sure that I do. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. All right. Bye, Brian. You know what? That, I, 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 think I, I think I say this after every show because it, it, I just love doing this. And I think that for the last show of 2019, that Rose was just a great, super vibrant uh, uh, ball of energy um, that I really wanted to have at the end of this year. So, um, so Rose, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show this week. And, and I really hope everybody enjoyed uh, listening to her. And, and I have a feeling that her and I are going to have conversations again in the future. So I'm, I'm stoked about that. But um, for this being the last show of 2020 or 2019, I want to thank everybody uh, for your support through the year. Um, you guys know uh, how I feel about uh, the, the group of people that follows us and listens to the show and, um, and subscribes to this and as well as the people that are involved. So I want to give my big thanks to the boys down there at radioinfluence.com guys i'm not fucking around here i'm being serious if you have an idea for a podcast what's the worst that can happen is that somebody's going to say no but guess what if you don't ask you got a 100 percent chance of a no if you ask you got a 50 50 shot reach out to the boys jerry and jason down there talk to them about your idea and see what happens with it you never know you can end up with your own podcast working with some really really good guys um i want to thank maggie gagliardi who does our illustrations for every episode. Um, her professionalism, her creativity is unmatched, and I'm really glad that she's my friend, and I'm excited uh, for all of the amazing things that are happening to her. So check her out on Instagram, at MagsArt. That's M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. Michelle out there at Techno Solutions, who takes care of all of our websites, all of my websites, every single one of them she oversees. She also does some graphic stuff for me for the restaurant. She's a badass. So that's Techno Solutions, T-E-C-K-N-T-E-C-H-K-N-O-W Solutions. And they do an amazing job. Trust me, take a look at them for your menus. Take a look at them for your websites. She is a brilliant person with an unbelievable creative mind. So get out there and do it. So boys and girls, thank you so much for hanging out for Duffified Live for 2019. Guess what? Next year's going to be even bigger. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey gang, Jerry P. Tuck here, co-host of A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but we are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts, but at the end of the day, A Place for My Head is all about real people with real stories about real life. Check out A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and myself, Jerry P. Tuck, each week on Apple Podcasts. 
Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.